0: So we're planting the heavens. That's, that's our task. That's our job, isn't it? That's our role. We don't have another role because if you look around, we haven't finished the one we've been given. And, you know, Jesus said up the mount before he ascended, go and, uh, in his authority, of course, and disciple the nations. And a lot of people think that means make disciples from the nations, but it doesn't. The Greek very clearly says, Bring the nations to subjection, disciple the nations. So planting the heavens is all about that. And um, our text, if you want to say that, our foundation text is from Isaiah 51. We looked at it last week and I'm going to just use that as a launching pad. And then we'll get into uh, where the Lord wants us to go. He says, I have put my words in your mouth. Isaiah 51 verse 16. I have put my words in your mouth. I have covered you with the shadow of my hand. And these are metaphors, or the, the, the hand is a metaphor for the Holy Ghost. Amen? The Holy Ghost has to be involved in this. The Holy Spirit has to come upon us, empower us, uh, quicken us, enable us, and equip us. Or I would just say it this way, engulf us. You know, we talk about the baptism of the Spirit, but it simply means immersion or engulfing. Amen? I want to be engulfed by the Holy Spirit, don't you? I don't want to be engulfed by what's going on around about me. So he says, I've covered you with the shadow of my hand. He's put our words in his mouth and he can't do that unless he does it supernaturally, but he can't do that unless you put his words in your mouth. Amen? As in, you study your Bible, you meditate it, and you are so soaked in the word that what comes out of you is word. Amen? The old uh, illustration of if you put a sponge in a bucket of water and pull it out, squeeze the sponge, water comes out. But if the sponge is outside the bucket and you squeeze it, nothing comes out. Amen? So let's be soaked in his word and let's be engulfed by his spirit. That I may plant the heavens. That's where we get that phrase from. It's used elsewhere in scripture. And the word plant actually means just to establish the heavens. yeah, And lay the foundations of the earth, which means that we have to have a new transformed society if that makes sense culture society has to be transformed you can't lay foundations unless you clear away what's there think about that um you know I used to have a friend who was in demolition and you know you can't build a building until you've demolished the old building we speak a lot in here in arise scotland about old wineskins new wineskins and all the problems in the church come from one thing people want to hold on to the old wineskin. And want to drink the old wine, but God wants us to be imbibers of the new wine, uh, which is the wine of His Spirit, and um, to be have in a new wine skin. So, anyway, it says here, and lay the foundation of the earth, and say to Zion, you are my people. Well, tonight, if you're in Christ, if you're a Christian tonight, you're in Zion. But although that's true for every Christian. Let me just say this to you. It's much more true if you're a remnant saint. Amen? Because I don't actually see Zion as just the church. I see Zion as the people of God who are faithful. And that means the remnant people of God. Does that make sense? So the remnant of God are the Zion of God in this time. So he's saying to us tonight, I've equipped you. I've given you all that you need. And it's very simple. It's not, you know, you don't have to go to Bible college. Uh, I lecture in Bible college. I was, we started back in Thursday. But if I was to stand up here and say, eh, eh, you have to go to Bible college to qualify for this, then I would be lying. Because all you have to do is be a faithful saint of God. And a fervent, and you know, you're in, you're all in. So, but you can go to Bible college. It's good fun. Uh, but it is forty quid a month, so <laughs> you know that's cheap. It's very, very cheap. The average uh, degree is for sort of divinity religious is about five grand a year or something. So we are we are very cheap. Um, so but it's not about that. We had a school of ministry as well running a while back, um, up the stairs and that was free, wasn't it? But uh, so uh, but anyway. I'm losing my uh, place here. This is God saying to us here, "I'll, I'll put you through my Bible college. Just put my words in your mouth and be open to the infilling of the Holy Spirit. I was listening to a song there. I love this old Pentecostal song, Let the Holy Ghost from heaven fall on me. I love that song. You can't sing that song or hear that song without being stirred. You know, we need the Holy Ghost, don't we? more than ever before. The answer to the world is the Holy Spirit. Amen? You know, Jesus said, it's better that I go away because you need me to be in the vicinity of you if you want anything done. But when I go, the Holy Ghost is everywhere. Amen? The Shekinah glory isn't in a a building anymore, in a Holy of Holies, in a wee room, and behind a thick curtain. He's in your heart and he's in mine. Amen? So, we are planting the heavens just by being here. Just by going to Asda, or Tesco, or Morris's or Sainsbury's if you're posh, or Waitrose if you're a poser. Amen? Aldi's. Yes. Aldi's. Aldi's is my favorite. I love going to Aldi's. It's better than Lidl. Praise God. Aldi's is anointed. <laughs> Amen. Uh, but Aldis is brilliant. But wherever you go, you take the presence. You're, you see? see, you need to be intentional. It's intentionality. That word, the Lord keeps saying that to me, and it's true. You, know, you can just go out tomorrow, as we're going to do at the Morrison's. Am I right? Um, you can just go out there and say, "I'm going to, go to Morrison's, get some mints or whatever." But if you say to yourself as you go, you know, I am the temple. And temples are just carriers of a presence, aren't they? Uh, But you're more than just a carrier, we know that. But the point being is, what do you carry? And if you're intentional about what you carry, wherever you go, you'll see every place the sole of my foot treads on, I'm planting the heavens and I'm laying foundations. And if there are demons there, let them be dispersed. If there's darkness there, I'm the light that dispels the darkness. And if you are intentional about that and think like that and decree like that and speak like that, I can assure you that as you go, the demonic realm recognizes that and scarpers. But if you just shuffle out and go, I'm just going for a pint of milk, that's all they'll have. You have to be intentional about where you plant your feet. Now, let's quote Isaiah chapter 60. As we say that, because I want to show you this, okay? Isaiah sixty is the chapter for this time, amen. Because it says so much, uh, we could just we could read through it, but I don't have time. I just want to pick out key verses as we look at planting the heavens, and it says here. Um, it says, let's read from. Uh, well, let's read from verse 9, okay? It says, uh, sorry. Surely the isles shall wait for me and the ships of Tarsus first to bring thy sons from far, their silver and their gold with them. We looked at that before, wealth transfer. And you see, you're not going to experience wealth transfer until the consciousness of it saturates your mind, saturates your being. Okay, remember that book that was was out, and some people say it's a cult, and there is an occult element to it. I don't argue with that, but it's really just looking at a biblical truth, but from, from a non biblical, that book, The Secret, The Law of Attraction. The Law of Attraction is a perversion of this. They're trying to counterfeit what we have, which is the gold and the silver belong in the temple. Who's the temple? You yeah. are. So they're trying to say I'm a magnet for wealth uh, you I attract the wealth well they'll have a measure of success because it's a principle but it's meant to go to the temple not to some weird new age freak. Amen? Okay. So unto the name of Yahweh and there's the key because the temple was built to house the name and to the Holy One of Israel because he has glorified thee. And then it goes on about, the sons of strangers shall build that your walls. Look at this verse 12. The nation and kingdom that will not serve you shall perish. And those nations shall be utterly ruined. The glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the pine, and the box tree together to beautify the place of my sanctuary. Now, the sanctuary of God is his temple. And again, I'll say it. Who or what is his temple? It's you and I. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And then he says this, I will make the place of my feet glorious. You see that? Now, if you're the temple of God, that means if God lives in you, your feet are his feet. So wherever you go, you're making the place of his feet glorious. But only if you're intentional. Or if you're one of these Christians that, well, I need to get vaccinated because I love my neighbour. But really, what what that really means is I need to get vaccinated because I'm full of fear. Amen? Or I need to conform because that's the Christian thing to do, is to conform to the protocols. Right? You're not making anywhere glorious. Amen? What you are doing is conforming. But if you want to make, you have to be intentional. So you say, I'm the sanctuary, I'm the temple, I'm the house of God, and where I go, I'm intentional about making the place of my feet glorious. And that's what Scotland needs. Amen? We, we make a lot of the fact that uh, just over the motorway is the Glasgow Cathedral, where St. Mungo had his first church. But we're also aware that on this very hill, it's believed... That St. Mungo preached. So who knows? He's maybe walked past this church many times. Obviously, not the church wasn't here to just be fields or just be a rock or whatever, or grass. But the point being that we can say we are probably in the footsteps of St. Mungo here. And we, we often say I don't we're falling in the footsteps of and sometimes that's a literal thing. So, but isn't it far more amazing? That our feet, because we're the temple, is the place of his feet. And you know, when you plant something, from that point of view, you, you take possession. I've got a friend who goes around and he, he blows sofas and all that, but he plants stakes wherever he goes. Now that's his thing, I, I wouldn't be doing that unless the Lord told me to do it. But he, he stakes out the territory, he claims it, you understand? So we have to have that thinking in us. You know, it's not just, oh, I'm going to Glasgow to, you know, the church. and It's as I go, from wherever you came. And as you go back, from whence you came. Be intentional to say, this is God's kingdom territory from this moment on. There shall no man be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Wherever they put the sole of your foot, that will be your territory. We need to think like that. And that's what planting the is, laying the foundations. And how do we do it? We do it with our words. And we also do it with our feet. Just being intentional, turning up. Does that make sense? Yeah. So as we, as we turn up, we say, this is God's territory. And people might think they're nuts. But I'll tell you who doesn't think you're nuts. God doesn't think you're nuts. The angels don't think you're nuts. And the devil certainly doesn't think you're nuts. He's terrified. Because if he does that everywhere he goes, I'll have nowhere left to go. And there's a truth to that. All right. So, but where I want to go with this, okay? Because there's all these blessings of Isaiah 60. But then it gets down to verse 15. And verse 15 is the game changer. Let's look at verse 14 as we get into it. The sons also of them that afflicted you shall come bowing to you. And all those who despise you shall fall prostrate at the soles of your feet. And they shall call you the city of the Lord, Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Now that's exciting, isn't it? Because you have to wonder, is that literal? Or is it just metaphorical? But either way, it's cool. What it's saying is that the people who opposed you, the people who called you nuts, the people who persecuted you and abused you, in particular, I'm thinking of people right now who've had that because of the whole vaccine thing. Oh, you crazy conspiracy nut. Oh, you divider. Oh, you, you've you got blood in your hands. Well, the Bible says it's all going to change. They will come bowing down and they will, and you know, it says some somewhere over in Revelation 3, it says, the synagogue of Satan those who say they're Jews and they're not, they're going to come bowing down and they're going to say, you are the chosen. You're the one God's love, God loves. You're the Zion. You're the city of the Lord. Now what happens is, and again the metaphor's all, it's a temple metaphor again because when you think about it, if every one of us individually is the temple of God, our bodies, we're also that corporately. But as you get over into the New Testament, it actually, because there's so many of us, it actually says that we're the New Jerusalem. We're a city. Because there's so many dwellings. In a, you know, when you get so many dwellings, in the natural, it becomes a city, doesn't it? You think know, Hamilton's a town. But Glasgow's a city. And the, the, the thing is, the definition of city is, if you have a cathedral in it, and the cathedral is a metaphor for the the you know the worship of God. So, New Jerusalem is a city; it's a cube. Anyway, that's in another area. What I want to speak about tonight, very quickly, and I'll just cover this briefly. And I might get into it next week uh, or, or, or at some point. Is I want to talk about something that I speak about again in Bible College. I'm boring heavily from my notes here. Um, But just as the Lord has led me to do this. Here's a wee quote from Ed Silvozo, who is an amazing man of God, if you know him. If you don't, you need to get acquainted with Ed Silvozo. And he talks about, he's got a book called Ecclesia, and Ecclesia means governmental assembly. And so, how does God plant the heavens? We looked last week, he does it by appointing elders in every city, doesn't he? But elders have to be part of something. And what they're part of is the ecclesia, the governmental... See, church isn't four hymns, two prayers, and a sermon. That we settle for that. Or we've settled for 45 minutes of praise your name, and then a 10-minute pep talk. You want to know why a lot of churches have uh, resisted opening? I'll tell you, because the pastor doesn't have a message in him. And, and when, when all that stuff was going on that you couldn't worship, you couldn't have the 45 minutes of filler. So the pastor had to come up with a decent message and he couldn't because it's pep talk. The 10 minute pep talk. Then I'm not knocking people, I'm not naming names, but I know, listen, I'm, I'm in pastor's groups, I know. They didn't want to open. A whole bunch of them did not want to open back because they had nothing to offer. Because they let the worship people you know, they were the main attraction. You know, and that's what I like when Ronnie says. It's all about the Lord. It's not about looking at me with my skinny jeans, my smoke machines, and my straddle caster. Yeah? It's all about him. You can tell that, you see, talent and anointing are great when they go together. But if there's a choice between talent and anointing, you always pick the anointing, don't you? Anyway, this is what Ed Savozo says, the Ecclesia, the church as we would call it, because that's the Greek word for church, was a buildingless mobile people movement. This is back in the early days of the church, Acts Church of course, designed to operate 24-7 in the marketplace for the purpose of having an impact on everybody and everything. Now if we accept that this guy Ed Savozo is right about that, this changes everything, and it's nothing like what we're used to. And if we're being really honest, it's not even like what we're doing right now. Because we're having a meeting in, in a building. But according to Ed Silvozo, the, the church is meant to be out there, not it's a, a cloistered away. Okay? So we need to change our thinking. So, what I want to look at is something that I call Emirates Ministry. And I'll explain what I mean by that. It's biblical, it's historical. And it's also the key to understanding God's purpose for his 21st century ecclesia. Embrace ministry is ministry to leaders in the Seven Mountains. The Seven Mountains are just a metaphor for culture. Uh, I'm not going to list them all because i probably forget them. But education, business, government, family. I'm doing not too bad so far. Church and another couple. Uh, aye, sports and arts and, and media and stuff. The seven, so the seven drivers of culture, the things that have shaped our thinking. You know, the clothes you wear, the music you listen to, your designer labels and the, the, the stuff you're into, man. That comes from the seven mountains. Or things that you've learned, or your political views, different things. They're shaped by these seven moulders of culture. And of course, uh, guys like Lance Wall now speak a lot about invading them with Christian uh, you know ideals christian vision principles of the word of god and being anointed so that we don't have wretches on top of the seven mountains with your christians so anyway that's the seven mountain thing i don't want to talk about that really today Uh, but it says anciently an emeryst was somebody who provided wise counsel practical advice and spiritual direction to kings and rulers I'll tell you what our leaders need tonight, which they don't have. Is somebody standing beside them or sitting beside them and saying to them, that's wicked. That's blessed. That's a stupid idea. From a spiritual, holy ghost, God-ordained perspective. You know, the, the greatest example in history maybe is King Arthur with Merlin. A lot of stuff's talk about, spoke about Merlin, or he was a magician and a wizard and all that. But in real life, it's believed Merlin was a was a Christian prophet. And also, uh, it's believed a high-ranking uh, bishop or apostle in the church. That's what I'm talking about. See, that's what Trump had a wee bit for a while. You know, he had people there surrounding him, getting into the White House, praying, giving him... I'm not sure that he listened to a lot of advice, uh, because I think some of the people that would advise them better weren't there. But nonetheless, he had it. He surrounded himself with Christians. You see all those pictures of Christians laying hands on him and praying for him and so on. So that's, that's what our leaders are needing. We're needing that door to go, and it's Nicola Sturgeon saying, I'm bankrupt, I'm bereft of ideas, I'm at my wit's end, but I know you guys have some. But let me just say this. Until we demonstrate what's in here. Until we start walking in it and demonstrating it and displaying it and showing it. Until we do that. Because guys like Elijah did. Didn't they? Now Elijah was despised by the king he was under. But nobody disputed he was a man of God. But you know, Joseph and Daniel What they had was honoured and respected, and they were promoted by uh, kings that were in nations traditionally hostile to Israel, albeit Joseph was before the hostility of Egypt. But Daniel in particular said, oh, Babylon, Babylon's terrible. We need to pray for the fall of Babylon. But Daniel had a different ministry. He had a transformation ministry, not a confrontation ministry. He was promoted in Babylon. But you see, you have to have that. emeritus ministry, it's called, and I'll explain what that means. I'll tell you who was an Emirates in history. John Knox. He functioned in Emirates ministry because he ministered to both English and Scottish royalty. He was heavily involved in ministering to, he was a personal chaplain, I think, of, of Edward, the, the, young, the boy prince. And he ministered to Mary, Queen of Scots, although... He was in about Scottish royalty and English royalty as an advisor and a counselor, but sometimes as a confrontational prophet. Sometimes you have to straddle both realms. And of course, Bible times prophets such as Samuel, Nathan, Isaiah, and Jeremiah provided this type of ministry to the kings of Israel and Judah. Now, here we have, uh, and there's the powerful examples of Joseph and Daniel who are anointed to invade worldly systems, but bring transformational kingdom-based leadership rather than repent or, you know, the Lord's going to smite you. God has different means and different people to reach leaders. And you know, every problem in the world right now, every single problem, comes from one thing. Incompetent, Or wicked leadership or both. If you had the right people in the White House, if you had the right people in number 10, if you had the right people in Butte House and in our parliaments and our councils down at Glasgow City, if you had the right people, society would be transformed overnight if they made decisions that were godly and blessed. And particularly rejected the agenda that they're on just now so the office of emerus was one of counselor advisor fixer and mystic nobody was more loyal or trustworthy than an emiris Merlin and all the and of course the biblical ones I've mentioned I want to say this and we're talking about plant heavens. this is the age right now where such a ministry to the nations will come to the fore and plant the kingdom of the heavens on the earth thus laying an eternal foundation for the dominion of Christ Now, that's either because Jesus will return soon or because he won't have to. Particularly if you've got a post-millennial viewpoint that the kingdom grows in strength and power and influence and salt and light and leaven and society becomes Christianized. That that was the great vision of uh, our forefathers in the faith. Now, Emerus ministry has an Old Testament root of, of course. Most of what we call the major prophets functioned in Emerus roles. And another way of saying it is a, being a prophet to the nation. A lot of people are prophets in the church. They have a prophetic ministry. Cameron was speaking about the other day. But some people just have a prophetic gift. But they amp it up. They plug it into an amp and I'm a prophet. No, you're not. You just have a, a prophetic gift. But other people are prophets but there's a difference between a prophet to the church because you may be a prophet in your sort of denominational circles your spheres but there are prophets to the nation okay um, even in this new covenant era so but what i want to say is the office and role of ermes is not a church one going by a traditional understanding it's not really a fivefold ministry because that's for the church but an Emirates will function under the anointing of apostolic and prophetic ministry. And here's how I put it here. Emirates ministry is how an apostle prophet looks from the perspective of the world. There are people I believe God has called their ministrators to the world. And I'm not talking about Billy Graham evangelists. I'm talking about people who have a prophetic voice to speak to a nation. Like John did and, and others it is apostolic and prophetic ministry in a seven mountain setting now I need to rush this through because we're uh, I've got so much so many notes here and if I just go through them all we'll be here till midnight now that would suit me but I'm not sure it would suit you guys (laughs) certainly wouldn't suit you praise the Lord anyway what I want to speak about is is here in Isaiah chapter 60 just that verse here in verse 15 it says here whereas thou hast been forsaken and hated so that no man went through thee, I will make thee an eternal excellency, a joy of many generations. I will make you an eternal excellence. You've been forsaken, you've been hated, and no man went through you. What that really means, if we if you boil it down, he's saying that you've been despised, you've been rejected, and your numbers have dwindled to such an extent, and I think I've shared this with some of you, not necessarily from the pulpit but the estimate that I've heard is that as we've come back from that last lockdown and of course that was in the back of the previous lockdown or lockdowns I don't know how many lockdowns we have had now but it's estimated that two-thirds of people who went to church before COVID and before the lockdowns are no longer church they're no longer going to church and, and we have one pastor friend who says, I'm down to a third of what I have. And, and we've seen that ourselves. Not here, but we've seen it with him. And that's what we're talking about. You were despised, you were forsaken, no man went through you. Okay? So he's talking about declension or decline, the church at a low ebb. Okay? And who would, who, would, who would argue with that right now? The church is at a low ebb. And the reason why a lot of that is is because a lot of these folks have taken the, the dreaded V. And in doing so, in my opinion, I don't apologise for it, don't care who falls out with me, and some already have, they bowed the knee to Bill. Amen? So, what he says here, though, that's happened. He says, you have been forsaken, hated, no one went through you. Then he says, this is the game changer. This is where it all pivots. This is where it all turns. This is where all the glory comes from. This is where all the blessing comes from. This is where all the wealth transfer, because there's a turning. There's something happens. He says, I will make you an eternal excellence, a joy of many generations. The joy of many generations doesn't uh, mean, um, like, you know, this generation, the next generation, you know, till 2130. He's saying what it means in the Hebrew is all the generations will come together. So that they'll be united. There'll not be a generation gap. There won't be that, you know, how, how if you, once your children become teenagers, you lose them and all that stuff. He's saying basically that, that God will restore the family unit, which is, is prophesied in Malachi. But what does it mean an eternal excellence? What does that mean? In the Hebrew, right, it's this wonderful word for eternal that means that eternal or the, the, the vanishing point. That's what it means. It means ancient, but it means it goes off into eternity. It means eternal. It means immortal. And brothers and sisters, that is exactly what Emrys means, that word Emrys that I'm speaking about. It means eternal. What, what he's saying here is, who you are eternally trumps everything else. The word excellence means royal or majestic. And you know, we've been teaching it. Karen's taught it. I've taught it. We've heard it here many times. I think even Isabel touched on it. A royal identity in Christ a royal priesthood, and the Melchizedek order. It means who you are eternally, not who you are right now. Because you could be sitting there right now, and you know you're not much in the world, or or or, or you've been uh, mashed up, bashed up, smashed up. Or you might be sitting there feeling I don't, I don't feel I've got anything to offer. I don't f- understand. But it's not who you present right now in the natural world. It's who you are eternally. And he says, I will make you an eternal exercise. And that's why I use this word, Emerson and I use it, teach this in the Bible college, because that is a, it's a, it's a, a Celtic, Gaelic word, actually. And it means, or it's uh, Welsh, Cumbrin or whatever, but it means eternal. You see, what's important, brothers and sisters, tonight, it's not what's going on right now, not how we feel right now, not, not what's happening right now, but who we are in Him. And if you can get your consciousness away from your trials, your problems, your emotions, and all these things that will pull you down, and, and you may have real problems, and nobody's discounting that. Oh, you know, uh, man up, smart yourself up. You know, nobody's saying that. But what we're saying is, if you can take your focus away from the natural. And that includes looking at what's going on out there. And it's scary stuff. You know, we've got a WhatsApp group and sometimes you don't want to look at it because some of the things that people put on it, and these two here are, are really guilty of that. For that, <laughs> I do too as well. But sometimes even I'll say, oh, I don't want to put that on. That'll, that'll scare folks, am I right? But you know, you have to be. You have to be informed and aware of course and awake so but that's not our focus because if we just dwell on that then we'll eventually just crumble with, with, with fear or, or with, with depression and, and thank God we don't just put stuff like that on the group but it says I will make you in eternal life what he's really saying is I will make you who you really are in me A king-priest, a king-priest of the Melchizedek Order, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a conqueror, more than a conqueror. And as we we saw when we looked at, kings shall rise out of Scotland. I will make you who you really are in me. You might not see it, you might not feel it, you might not really even believe it, but if you'll get into my word and be clothed in my spirit then I will make you into that person. And that's what the world's waiting for. And as I said to you, and guys like Columba and Aidan, these were all guys that had a claim to the throne in their day. They were royal personages, real, uh, you know, and I think it was Aidan that was actually in line to be the high king. And he said, no, no, I'm going to stay serving God because that's a higher... There's no higher office than an Emirates. Many of the people that were Emirates in history, the Columbus and guys like that, they actually turned away from being the actual king because they realized that who they were in God, what they carried in God, what they brought to, to other kings that they had stood aside for was more important. And, you know, we don't hear a lot about those kings today, but we hear a lot about Columba, don't we? And people like at Patrick as well was, was, was of noble birth. So Isaiah chapter 60 is where it's at. And it's interesting that these wonderful promises of manifest glory, abundance, and blessing come at a time of darkness covering the earth and great darkness upon the people. That's the thing we always read Isaiah 60, go, oh, our eyes shine, the light. But what we don't see is it says in the middle of great darkness. And if you don't have the great darkness, you're not living in Isaiah 60. So we could say it like this, a last desperate attempt by Babylon to exert authority and dominion over people, domination rather than dominion, will result in its prophesied demise as God's ecclesia rises up in the earth, resplendent with the glory of God. God's answer to a time where it seems that God's people are forsaken and hated with no one going through as very low numbers in church, a period of barrenness when the influence and authority of the church is in great decline, who cares what those mental Christians have got to say, The number of churches and people in them is dwindling. The number of churches that are closing or when they open back up. I saw a video today of one that opened back up and had them there. Christians are not consulted and no longer sought out. Sound familiar? God's answer to this predicament, I will make you an eternal excellence. I will make you somebody they cannot argue with. I will make you somebody they can't deny. I will make you somebody that displays so much. They will come running to you. Isaiah 60 is telling us, The kings will come. They'll be at the head of the queue. And you know why? Here's why. When it says kings, it's talking about politicians and leaders and stuff, right? They're always sniffing out the money. That's why they'll come. Amen? It's not just power and influence. It's wealth and riches. And Isaiah 60 keeps telling us the wealth of the nations will come to you. So the pivot from obscurity to the teeming glories of Isaiah 60 is this intervention from Yahweh, he will make us an eternal excellency, or he will give us, cause us to live in and function from Emris ministry, from that royal priesthood place. These things are not there by accident or just to make us feel good. They're there to tell us who we really are. And you know, I was I was writing up some stuff today. I'm going to close this very quickly. In Proverbs, all the Proverbs that Solomon, one of the greatest kings in history. Was writing about kings, and there's so much there, and I think yeah, I thought, well, you know, I'm a king, I'm a king priest in the Melchizedek Order. So if these things are true about kings that Solomon said, they should be true about you and me. Am I right? So we need to start living like kings. Christians. Christians are taught to live as beggars, and we need to abandon that. The word "embrace" means eternal. This is the game changer. The word excellency, the text here, depicts royal majesty And as we've seen an emir in Emerson, Celtic times was a person of regal birth who functioned as a royal counsellor and prophets to kings. It was an office akin to Old Testament prophets. That's why these guys at Columba, they, they, they were called... Columba was the kingmaker. They would anoint kings and they would um, crown them. And often upon the stone of destiny. So, as a new covenant office rooted in the old covenant, it is a king priest ministry, but it's not necessarily fivefold, although fivefold ministers were walking. An Emrest was more than capable of being a king, but chose the higher office of counsellor and prophet. Emirus ministry penetrates the seven mountains of culture and brings the kingdom of God, plants the kingdom of God into the very heart of society by influencing leaders and gatekeepers. I'm going to leave it there. But just to say this, folks. That this is, I believe, what God is calling all of us to. That if we will accept this and receive God will put you in front of people. Right now, you, you'd be astonished. But you have to be ready. You have to, be, you have to say, you have to be intentional. And say, I want to be that person. I want to walk in that eternal excellency ministry. I want to be somebody that, that's a mover and a shaper. Not so I can feel good about myself, but because you're not here for any other purpose. You're not here just to go to church and sing the four hymns and all that. You're you're here to be who God and what God has called you to be. We'll continue our study on that as we go on.